Hello and welcome to Cage Club, two fans, 74 movies, one cage. Today's movie is The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened, from either 1998 or 2015. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And this is another movie that Cage isn't really in, at least in terms of modern day. But this is a documentary about the movie Superman Lives, Superman Reborn, that was written, that was supposed to go into production and supposed to hit theaters in the summer of 1998, and never really got off the ground. So we're doing it at this point in Cage Club because this is when the movie should have come out. So in terms of tracking Cage's career, this is when everything could have changed and he could have become one of what he calls the most precious icons in American history. Yeah, and it would have seen the return of Tim Burton to the Superman movie genre. It would have possibly reignited Cage's action film career, you know, because he's kind of just coming off of City of Angels, Snake Eyes, 8mm. This would have put him back on top as an action star and, you know, as Superman. I mean, come on, like, could you just imagine? I mean, we were talking last night about how bad we want this movie to exist. I was listening to something this week, and somebody brought up a good point. Like, sort of the best genre of movies, or the best genre of documentaries, is documentaries about other movies. Like, just, like, looking behind the scenes at, like, these movies that either turned out terribly or just never actually happened are just fascinating. Because you think about it, like, making a movie is a lot of work. Like, so many things have to go right. You have to get funding. You have to have everything come through. Any number of things can sort of derail the entire operation. But also, like, people can just go out and make a movie. I I mean, I don't know. There's so much work and so much passion that people have put into this movie. I, I find it so interesting to just see the making of a movie that just never actually happened. I think my favorite type of documentary is the making of a film documentary because of the all-access, behind-the-scenes look into the process. But you're right, like, even movies that get released, like Apocalypse Now, has an incredible documentary called Hearts of Darkness about the making of and just the madness that goes on behind the scenes. And if that happens for a movie that gets released, I can only imagine, you know, the shenanigans going on behind the scenes of films that don't get released. It's just such a shame because... uh, watching this and seeing how far along they were and how close they actually were to starting this movie it's just like oh we're so close we got so close it turns out that they were three weeks away from production on this movie when when it got canceled basically because the production was kind of a mess like they brought in three screenwriters which is not necessarily a good sign but it's also i don't think altogether too uncommon we've done movies on here that have actually been made with a couple different screenwriters doing passes It's not necessarily like a catastrophic lack of vision, you know what I mean? It's sort of like the victim of circumstance. Warner Brothers at this time was experiencing box office bomb after box office bomb, and they just didn't want to put 140, 200, 300 million dollars into this movie that would have been spectacular to see, even if it was like a beautiful disaster, like would have been amazing. They just didn't want to put all this money into this movie as fans of Cage or Superman or just movies in general were just left wondering what if. I had always sort of imagined it was a lack of communication that destroyed this project. And watching the film, they even get into how artists weren't talking to each other intentionally. You know, people were sort of kept in the dark. That was sort of the process. This movie didn't get made more or less because of budgetary reasons. It just got to be too big at the time. Bad timing for Warner Brothers. Like you said, a string of failures. And it was just too much of a risk. You know, I I understand that now, what that means and, and everything. But Warner Brothers had just, you know, rolled the 
dice, maybe they would have recouped everything they lost up until that point because this would have been huge. Like, forget about Batman 89. I mean, this probably would have wiped the slate clean for everything Schumacher did with Batman and all all of the bad sort of superhero imitations at the time. What might have hurt the project as well is the actual story. They were going off of the death of Superman's storyline, which was current, but not exactly well known. It had a lot of Superman stuff that the general public wasn't exactly familiar with, you know? So I also think that a lot of that had something to do with they couldn't exactly get the script somewhere they liked. I've heard of movies going into production that faced a lot more trouble than this, so it's just a bummer. <laughs> it's just like a full-on bummer to realize we don't have this. Yeah, I fully agree that it's a major big-time bummer, but like, I don't know that you're necessarily on point in terms of how well-known the story was. Maybe it's just my personal experience, but when I was growing up, my dad would read comic books to me, and it was always Superman. Superman's always been his favorite. We would just read Superman comics. I remember two stories very vividly. I remember the death and return of Superman, which is what this movie basically would have been, and I remember Crisis on Infinite Earths. And so, I mean, I'm not super well-versed in terms of the history of comics, the history of DC, all this different stuff. Comics, especially, you know, late 80s, early, very early 90s, comics are sort of like on the downturn. People weren't really super into them, and so they decided to shake up the industry by killing Superman. I remember it being a really big deal. I think, culturally, this was a story that a lot of people that they knew about this story. So I think it would have worked really well. I think for the most part, you were probably right. Like, I was reading comics at this time. I wasn't really a big Superman fan. However, a few years earlier, DC did a big marketing campaign where you could vote to see if Robin lived or died. Batman had taken on a new apprentice with Jason Todd, and he wasn't really going over too well with the public. So you could literally call in to say whether the Joker was going to beat him to death or not. And he ended up getting beaten to death with a crowbar. A few years later, to sort of revitalize Superman, it seems like, to me, they were sort of pulling the same dog and pony trick, where they're like, let's kill off Superman, and in the grand tradition of comics, no one ever stays dead for long. Like, we will have this huge campaign where we kill him off, and then bring him back and drag it out. And it did bring that story into sort of the mainstream, but I don't think people up until that point were necessarily paying attention to comic books all that much. Even though there were Batman movies, there hadn't been a Superman movie in almost 10 years. The last one was Quest for Peace, which left a bad taste in just about everybody's mouth. I don't know, like, yeah, the Superman, the death of Superman, it was in the public conscious, but as far as what actually went on in the story, it got kind of convoluted and confusing and didn't, it didn't seem to me like the best story to go with. However, watching this movie and seeing what they ended up omitting and changing, they almost just took the concept of him dying and coming back and wrote their own version of the death of Superman. Well, what seems pretty cool is that there are three screenwriters attached to this story. There's the first one was Kevin Smith, who everybody knows. The second was this guy, Wesley Strick, who admits in this documentary that he wasn't a Superman fanboy. I understand that, you know, good screenwriters are able to write about whatever they want. If people like, hey, write about this, like everybody knows Superman. But you sort of want someone like a Kevin Smith who's passionate about this kind of thing to sort of capture what it could be. And then the third was Dan Gilroy, who wrote and directed Nightcrawler. It's sort of the first and the third screenwriters are kind of, like, established, at least in terms of today's Hollywood, people that, like, you would sort of know and trust to write a movie like this. The middle guy, who it seemed like was sort of attached to the pre-production for the most time, seems like a horrible, horrible choice in sort of all areas of this movie, whether they're talking about concept art or writing or costumes or all this different stuff. 
it seems like they had a meeting where they were like, who is the least qualified to have this <laughs> job on this movie? All right, let's give the job to them. It seems like first they got Kevin Smith, who was like, you know, Superman fanboy, knows everything about comics. Like, let's get his draft. Let's see what, for all intent and purpose, like a comic book writer would write this movie. I think when they got that, they said, you know, a lot of this is just over our heads because there's too many characters. There's like three different Superman because at the time, other people were trying to take over the role of Superman in the comics. Then they get the second guy who doesn't really care anything about Superman and is just trying to approach it from a completely fresh perspective. And then you get Dan Gilroy, who's sort of in the middle. Like, he understands the importance of the lore of Superman and has respect for that. And then he's also coming from this sort of internal struggle point of view from, like, you know, what would a real movie without any superpowers, you know, do or something like that. And so I feel like with him, you sort of get, like, this best of both worlds. I feel like he sort of would have been a happy medium. I don't know if any of these scripts are publicly available. I can't imagine that they are. What I love about Kevin Smith's idea is that it sort of seems they compare it to, like, the Avengers. Like, he's got all these different crossovers, a bunch of different villains, but it seems like it sort of would work, as opposed to, like, Spider-Man 3. I mean, we have no idea, so it's all just sort of speculation. Batman's in the movie, Robin's in the movie. It's like this world. Like, just how, you know, DC is trying to build this world now with Batman vs. Superman, sort of building up to this Justice League movie. It seems like Kevin Smith's script did that. So that would have been almost, like, the best, in terms of fan service, Maybe not the best movie, but sort of like the, the most fun, the most recognizable to watch. But I feel like, as you were saying, Dan Gilroy's probably would have been like the best actual overall script. Like he would have had some of that stuff that fans and the comic book fans and fans of Superman love, but also would have made a good movie that mainstream America probably would have gone to see and enjoyed. I feel like he would have captured all of that nostalgia and wonder that was actually in Superman Returns with Brian Singer, but then he also could have melded that with, like, great action and huge set pieces. And They were going to do some amazing stuff in this Superman movie, and it's just incredible how <laughs> when Superman Returns came out, it was just like a dud, you know? Like, I can't believe that they went with that instead of something like this, and, you know, KG's been says, like, when he saw that movie, that's not what he wanted to do at all. You know, they were really going to reinvent Superman for this film. They talk a lot about, like, the different kinds of Superman. Like, there's the way to do Superman where it's like a throwback to the George Reeves movies of the 50s or the, the TV show of the 50s, the Richard Donner movies, like this sort of like goody two-shoes, sort of like American icon, whatever. Cage and Tim Burton both wanted to like shake things up a bit and like do a Superman that we haven't seen before. One way that they would have shaken it up is like with the suits. Like there are like insane, and I know that concept art is always sort of like out there and eventually you sort of take and choose elements to bring into the final product, but like there are so many crazy concept art costumes that like not recognizable like at all as Superman. And that's something I liked that this film was gonna do was Superman in the comic book wears one, maybe two suits, like ever, you know? Like he's got his traditional suit and then there's like a black one with a silver S on it, which is more of like Kryptonian proper. You kinda see Zod wearing it in the new movie. This movie was like, you know, one of the ways it was really gonna stand out was like yeah like multiple suits you know like it would sort of go through an evolution he'd start 
out in one suit, die in that, and then he would have sort of this regenerative suit that would bring him back to life, and then he'd have like his brand new suit at the end where it would be like Superman Reborn. Really, like Iron Man is the only guy who really changes suits at all, like these days, you know, and like that would have been something very fresh and ahead of its time and something they're still not really doing. From what I remember, and I haven't read it in a while, in the comics, he has the classic red, blue, and yellow suit. When he dies and sort of goes into this like underwater regeneration thing, he's got like the long hair. It fits the cage wig that they had at one point in this movie. And he's got like this all black suit. Like that's kind of his regenerative suit. And then when he comes back, I don't remember if he has a different costume. I don't know if he goes back to the original or if there's the new one. It stems from the comics. Like, it doesn't necessarily go as far out and crazy as these concept art things, but there is sort of a precedence in this world, in this story, of having different costumes. So it's cool that they would have tried to do something like that. And I just like the whole attitude that nothing is sacred with this. You know, like, with Batman, they stuck to pretty much the mold with that. They didn't really change his suit too much. They made it all black instead of black and blue or black and gray even still like the batman is still batman in that and in this they were really gonna just push the envelope you know they didn't really want him to look like the superman you knew and maybe that was just part of the radical 90s mentality of everything like just push it push it push it bigger crazy you know more intense but with superman sort of like this cosmic character i feel like you need to get weird they pushed it pretty far in man of steel you know like the first 20 minutes of that movie is my favorite on Krypton because it's just the strangest, most alien and bizarre stuff. And then it just sort of settles back into nostalgic Superman on Earth. But yeah, they really had a chance to like go overboard and have it stay within the context of the story. That craziness is something Superman would encounter. I feel like this is a great example of like how you sort of reboot a franchise. You and I both love Superman 3. Like Superman 3 is not a Superman movie. It's just a joy to behold. And then I've never seen Superman 4, Quest for Peace. I've heard no good things about it ever those two movies sort of deviated from the superman movies that people wanted to see we're in the 90s now we had two really good batman movies then two that were sort of eh at best they wanted to reboot superman but they also i feel like wanted to reboot comics as a whole it's a different climate today in terms of superhero movies are just the accepted norm especially with spider-man right like we keep rebooting spider-man and telling the same story like if you rebooted spider-man and did something like completely completely different like even if it's not like the best spider-man movie if it's like radically different like this movie would have been it's worth watching that's worth making yeah they were really going for something new and it just is so depressing when brian singer took over and somehow convinced him to just go back and basically like remake a richard donner version <laughs> just very unexciting and i don't know just kind of a melancholy atmosphere to that film it just didn't scream superman to me rebooting and that is a good sort of point because everything was just going to be subverting your expectations you know they did it a bit too when they cast michael keaton as batman right like michael keaton as batman like you got to be kidding me and, and there was sort of the same air of nicholas cage as superman like you got to be kidding me actually i kind of think nicholas cage like would have been a good superman you know we've seen how he's a great action star and he can beef himself up and work out and get the superman body and everything and, and we know he has the range to play like 
you know, a loser sort of Clark Kent. So he's got the part down. You know, I feel like he's got the range to do both things and wouldn't have been as questionable a choice, you know, when he got on screen as, say, like Michael Keaton might have been. And there might have been more outrage over Nick Cage, but I actually think he would have portrayed Superman incredibly well. You touched on a lot of the most important things in the movie, I think. The movie starts off with fans talking about Nicolas Cage. Like, he goes to, I don't think it's like Comic-Con, Comic-Con. It's just like some Comic-Con-like convention, the director of the movie, the, do- the documentarian. And he's talking to fans about, like, what would you think of Cage as Superman? And he sort of gets a good cross-section of people like, oh, he would have killed it, to people who saying, like, that would have been like, the worst movie ever, and, like, a sort of, like, a stretch in the middle. Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. I don't know if he'd be able to pull it off or not, but it would have been interesting. It's one of those, you know, what-ifs. I saw some of the artwork, and I just didn't, it just didn't fly with me. There's nothing about his face that fits. Nothing about his voice that fits that deep Superman voice that you can trust. It just seems kind of hilarious. I'm like, I'm sorry, guy. No. Nicholas Cage is a great actor, so I think he would have, like, he could have played that really well. You know, we all watch George Reeves, and I watched Christopher Reeve. I wasn't like, that's George Reeves, Chris Reeve. It was Superman. Nick Cage, you like, that's Nick Cage as Superman. Nick Cage would have been awesome. I mean, it's still one of my favorites is Wild and Hard with him. Yeah. I just figured that guy as Superman would be awesome. But what the movie also does is it sort of chronicles the people working on it. The higher-ups, the people who actually chose Cage. Like, what's cool is that in this movie they show clips from, like, Leaving Las Vegas and Wild at Heart, and they're talking about all of his dynamic range. Like, what we've been talking about on Cage Club. Like, how great of an actor he is, how great his range is, how diverse he is, and why he would have been, like, the perfect Superman. How did Nick Cage enter the picture? He reminded me of Michael Keaton. They both had this... Weren't the handsomest guys? but both had this tremendous, tremendous gift as an actor. Now when you think about it, if somebody was like, would you like to see a Nick Cage Superman movie? I'd be like, fuck and yes, take all my money because I want to see what that looks like. The great thing about Nick was that he was also, he was a fan of the comics, but he also was a fan of the, the sort of underpinnings and the psych, psychology of it all. So that, right. that, that's, again, what's what made him exciting. He sort of understood, to me, sort of both, both sides of it. When we first heard the Nick Cage idea, we were both intrigued and also going, well, that wasn't really the way we were thinking of it exactly. Because he's such an eloquent actor, he's got a very powerful presence, he can convey doubt and torment, he can convey joy and, and happiness and humor, and, you know, he's an actor. When you match that with this idea of making him a guy who has some insecurities and Nick has that ability to play so vulnerable, it was actually a very natural fit to his take. But, like, sort of what, like, caps it off to me was, like, that one guy talking about how when we heard that Nick Cage was going to be Superman, we were like, he's not this huge superhero type. But then, like, you see him in that costume and you're like, there's a power there. Like, he could pull this off. Yeah, I think it's just his natural sort of charisma, right? Like, the things he does in every movie that get you on his side, it's just his charm, you know, the look in his eye. And when he's in that costume, it feels complete. He looks comfortable. Everything just sort of snaps together in place. And it's like, wow, maybe the suit does make the man to a degree. You know what I mean? Like, you put a Superman suit on everybody, and half the people might be able to pull it off. And they got the suit on the right guy, as far as I'm concerned. It may have been, like, the crazy idea like at the time but then you actually see it and yeah it's amazing i think the most frustrating thing of all 
but you know, in terms of when this movie was being promoted, what people know about this movie, they know like this Polaroid of Cage, and they know the 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 footage of him in the costume. And so the Polaroid of Cage, this is like a crazy story that when Brian Singer was making Superman Returns, he had like his director's notebook, which was like the holy grail, like nobody could touch that. And whenever people would like criticize him for making this sort of retro throwback Superman, he would show them a picture of Cage as Superman, be like, we're not making this, and that would shut them up. This Polaroid they talk about, they say like it's a process, right? It's not like this isn't a product, this is a process. This is just one of many suits that he tried on. Like, it's not a final product, it's not what we would have seen. But also the Polaroid captured Cage mid-blink. They show the video footage of where this picture was taken. Any other picture that would have been taken would have been, like, infinitely more flattering. The combination of, like, a suit in progress, a wig that hadn't been trimmed yet to fit the costume or fit the role, him mid-blink, it comes together in this package. And if you just show it to somebody, they're like, oh, like, that looks horrible. And it does look horrible. But if you sort of, like, watch two seconds before and two seconds after, you'd be like... Oh, like this is a Superman movie that I'd want to see. That part really bothered me uh, and turned me against Brian Singer. Brian Singer understands what that photo is. You know, he's no idiot. He's made X Men movies and he's made big time movies, so he understands what a costume test is. He knows the process. So that photo is taken completely out of context, and he's like using it, you know, like to his advantage. It seems like he's saying, "Why would we want to make like this big, awesome, action packed superhero movie when we?" can make like these dark boring introspective ones you know like i mean his x-men films are good but they're not necessarily action-packed you know they're very much like morality tales and things like that you know he should really talk right like (laughs) brian singer i'm sorry but like like i said it just turned me against him a little more because like it's conniving he understands the process they were going through and so to use that picture as leverage just doesn't really seem very fair no it doesn't seem very fair and like it doesn't seem like the work of someone who's been established in hollywood who has these big budget action movies under his belt. If you can't justify what you're doing, you could sort of resort to tricks and trickery. But like, you're Brian Singer. Like, you should be you should be able to defend what you're doing. Like, okay, we're making a throwback Superman because X, Y, and Z. But he's just like, hey, at least we're not making this. And they're like, all right, go for it. I don't know. <laughs> but what was even funnier to me after watching this and sort of reflecting on this is that Brian Singer's X-Men uh, very much follow Tim Burton's Batman in, like, feel and tone, you know, and darkness and that that whole look even where mostly taking place at night. We got black costumes and things like that. So I'm thinking, like, he's already sort of looking at Burton's work and emulating it a little bit or integrating it into his style. So I don't know, maybe maybe he just has something against Burton at the time too. It could be he just wants to be as stylistically opposed to that as possible and go back to that Donner, Norman Rockwell-esque clean, safe world. Which I think is fine. Like, it's not a bad thing. If that's the movie you want to make, that's the movie you want to make. Just don't use this (laughs) non-flattering, terrible Polaroid as, like, your main evidence. Just stop it. (laughs) So I think it's worth talking about who the cast would have been or could have been, because this movie would have had the best cast. Cage as Superman. There were a couple different choices for Lois Lane. It seemed like the one that they had that was closest to the role was Sandra Bullock, which would have been great. Chris Rock as Jimmy Olsen. Christopher Walken as Brainiac. Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. Like, Kevin Spacey would become Lex Luthor in Superman Returns, but, like, I'm getting chills. Like, it's That would have been such an amazing, amazing cast. And it's just, like, 
it makes things even sadder that it never happened because it's everybody people love, it's everybody I love, I'm pretty sure it's everybody you love, all coming together, even if the movie wasn't great, it would have been so watchable and just so perfect. Yeah, this is a great cast. I mean, it's so ahead of its time, too. Casting a black Jimmy Olsen, like, brilliant, you know, at the end of the 90s. People got so pissed off about a black human torch this year, you know? And, yeah. and, like, just think of how progressive this film would have been strictly from the casting standpoint. And then, you know, Luther and Brainiac. Christopher Walken and Kevin Spacey, you know, having multiple scenes together and possibly at one point becoming one character, like, melding together so you have, like, <laughs> Walken Spacey monster, you know, fighting Superman. Like, yeah. yeah. And Sam Sandra Bullock, I think she just made, what, Demolition Man? She's coming off of that and Speed, and she was hot. She was good. You know, she was in the action genre, and she would have been a great Lois because she wouldn't have been, like, this damsel in distress. I got the feeling she would have been, like, more of a fighter type, you know, like a tough Lois, you know, someone who could drive a bus over 50 miles an hour for, you know, a couple hours so a bomb wouldn't explode, tough Lois Lane type person. Ah, it, it just would have been so good in so many different ways, and I'm, I'm sad that we never got it. We don't really know what the movie would have been like. They talk about a lot of things, Brainiac fighting polar bears, and Superman fighting ninjas, and like, who knows like what would have made the actual final cut, especially considering like if the movie was going to get made, it was going to have its budget chopped way, way down. I don't know what movie it would have been. I mean, we it could have been bad. I mean, who knows? I'm glad that we have the documentary. I'm glad that somebody went back and like looked at what could have been, but just sort of like that documentary from a couple of years ago, Yodorowsky's Dune, it's like painting this picture of a movie that I want so bad to be real, and it's just it, it's extra heartbreaking that it's never going to be real. Sometimes I wish this didn't even exist, and then at other times, like I'm so happy it does. You know, it's like this look at what could have been, but at least we have what we have of it. We can imagine in our minds through looking at the production art. We can watch the interviews and people talking about, it and just sort of try and cobble together a version in our head of what it might have been like. And you know, to be honest with you, a lot of the elements of what was going on in this movie made it into other Superman movies. Like, not just Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor, but stuff like Brainiac's skull ship design ultimately became the Codex skull in Man of Steel, of which yeah. all Kryptonians are sort of born from. And yeah, there's just like, Superman's ship looks very similar to the ship they were going to make in this movie. And it's funny how like elements like with Jodorowsky's Dune, elements of this film made it into other films, you know, because they were so good, because they, you know, they were going to be great and they didn't want to get wasted. And people found this production art and, and made it into their movie. I don't think anybody listening to this podcast, especially if you've been here since the start, would think that Cage would make a bad Superman. If you're sort of unsure, Mike put together this little compilation of things. Cage is not interviewed for this movie. They just have like a, a lot of archival footage of him in costume tests. They have him talking to interviewers and in past interviews about it. And I think that like listening to this clip, like one thing is clear that like he has a passion for this project. He has a passion for Superman. And he would have done the role and the movie and the franchise justice. He loves it too much to see it fail. If this movie would have failed, it would not have been Nick Cage's fault. He's been in bad movies up to this point in his career. He's never, like, mailed in a performance. Like, he always fully commits. So, like, just hearing him talk about this role, you're like, he would have been a really good Superman. You know, that character is such a bullseye that you have to hit. He's almost, you know, he's one of the most precious icons of our country. Um, and the fact that I, Tim and I were 
pretty far down the road designing it, and I know with Tim and where I was going to go, we would have done something really special. At least it's out there in the ether that that could have happened, but it doesn't have to, we don't have to make the movie. It's still interesting to people. Can we figure out what the suit is? Remember we kind of talked about like a chemical like baby blanket or something almost, you know? Because I love the sparkle thing. Maybe it's like it has the imagination of the child sparkle does. I, I, I like it. I'm starting to get attached to this length. What do you think, too? I, I mean, I... Try <laughs> we'll get off of this after. No, but we are here, so we might as well still raise the hat. The only thing is, like, what was wrong with the original costume was that he wore his underpants on the outside. I know. <laughs> we don't want it. But maybe if they were darker blue, you know, maybe if they weren't glaring red. What does the cape mean exactly? I know. Well, that's, you know, that's another, you know. That's kind of neat because it kind of has like a velvet look to it. It's like a child's blanket. We know we're doing a fairy tale. Yeah. Like yeah, I. Take it I, too I, seriously. Yeah. It's not too much. Yeah. Did you design the essence? Well, we kind of took it off from the more modern ones where it's a little just sleeker. My father wore this cape. So. <laughs> this cape was handed down to me. Exactly. This cape was from a long line of Kryptonians who were at the top of the field in science and law. I was thinking about when we left after our last meeting, Clark Kent in that t-shirt. You, you, you know what you can see? You had an idea which this now, seeing you like this, the kind of mismatched kind of Remember we were talking about more wilder? Just hearing other people making jokes. You guys are the best. Nobody would think this is Superman. Yeah. Yeah. You're like the lowest of the Perry White's journalist. That's the journalist of the year. Who's going to get journalist of the year? Look up for it, guys. And it's you. Your of the year. What's really interesting about these costume tests is, you know, when he's in the suit, he starts sort of posing like Superman and feeling it. And you can see, like, the look on his face change. And he's like, maybe this will work after all. Later, when he's dressed up like Clark Kent, he starts doing, you know, he starts improving, right? He's like, in the moment as Clark. And you're like, oh my God, like, that looks like what he, maybe he would have gone with that. So you get to, he's not just trying on costumes, he's like, trying out choices how's he going to play this character how's he going to do this and it just gives you you know <laughs> it just makes you want it even more this is literally like all we're ever going to see of him as superman and you know we're seeing him like trying on the role here it's really great stuff man just like thinking about it and like at the end of the movie they show like him actually in costume hair and makeup done costume like m more close to what we come to know and expect of superman he just looks great in it like it's it's exactly what you would want yeah i think they said it was going to be the last costume test before they started shooting and that's the day they got the call that the movie was called off but i believe they said they went along with this costume test even though they didn't even have all of the elements ready so you can tell like he doesn't have his shorts necessarily correct and the cape isn't perfect but it looks insane great it looks you know, it looks polished to me. I would have loved to have seen that Superman on screen. I mean, it, it was alive. Superman may not live in the movie, but Superman lives through this documentary. So that was the death of Superman Lives, What Happened. Uh, we will be back next time to our regularly scheduled 
late 90s, early 2000s movies with Bringing Out the Dead, so that should be very exciting. You can go to cageclub.me to see some of the concept art from this movie, to read our reviews of this movie, to listen to past podcasts, to read past reviews, to follow us on Twitter, to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, all sorts of things to do at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club.